let that be the cry of our hearts and on our lips as we go through these trials that we will choose to praise and to glorify you for all of our days, no matter what comes. Bring strength to these families we're praying for this morning, but I want to pray. families of those men who shot these men and that somehow in your crazy world here and in your crazy miraculous way that you work to redeem us that you'll bring a redemption we don't pray for condemnation we don't pray for judgment as much as we pray that you would bring salvation to these families to these men who did these wicked things. We leave judgment to you. We leave vengeance to you. And we ask that you turn us into people like your son, Jesus Christ, as we open your word right now. That you'll strengthen us and change us and grow us through the work of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, and um, let's get in our Bibles. I'm kind of over time here, so we're gonna kind of jump in. So let's go to the book of James, okay? As we dive into and uh, really continue what we started last week in this new series in the book of James entitled, It All Starts Here, and we explored last week these answers to these questions. Um, Do we want to make America great again? And the answer is, yes, we do. Do we want to, do we, oh man, of all days to be talking about this. I mean, do do we want to make right all the wrong that is in the world? Do we? I do. I don't want to live in this kind of stuff. And what's it going to take? You know, we talked about that last week and What we're going to explore over the next several weeks in the book of James is what it means to go back to the basics and begin to live out the Christian experience, the Christian life, the way God wants us to live it out so that we can be the change agents in the world that he wants us to be and to accomplish his will in the earth as it is in heaven. So I hope that you're excited about that. It's a great book. We're going to learn a lot of things, but we're going to have to dig deep. And we're going to go deep real early because James takes us deep right here at the beginning. James 1, 1. You ready? Yes. One person is ready. <laughs> Are you ready? I can know online you guys were all like, yes, Phil, we're ready. But in here, they, they weren't saying that. They're going to work on that though, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, that's good. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greeting. So basically he's saying, hey, all of you Christians, I want you to understand that these 12 tribes scattered, he's talking to the Christian Jews, those Jews in Jerusalem who have come to Christ, he's talking to them who are scattered. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Now, here's some facts about James that you might or might not have known. I actually learned some new things. 
as I walked down through this, I was, I was under the assumption of some things all my life about James until I dug a little deeper and found out that Jesus was, or James is the oldest stepbrother of Jesus. And I say stepbrother because if you know the doctrine around the virgin birth of Mary, Mary did not conceive of Joseph, Jesus. She conceived of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go into how that all worked and everything, but that's what we know the Bible teaches. And so James is actually, um, everyone believes that James is the oldest of the rest of the children of Mary and Joseph. And so James is the oldest natural-born child to Mary and Joseph, so therefore he's a stepbrother to Jesus. Now, how crazy would it have been... to be raised in the household of Jesus. Um, (laughs) To live for 30 years with a kid who never sinned, never done anything wrong, never got yelled at because there was nothing to yell at him about, never got a spanking because he didn't know disobey. What would that have been like to be James, the oldest brother down from Jesus, the perfect child in the home? Some of you are like, yeah, I grew up with somebody like that. I know exactly how to think about them. Well, um, what's interesting, you guys, is that James did not believe in his brother. He did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was, who his mother Mary and and his father Joseph told him that he was. He did not believe. In fact, John chapter 7, verse 5, this is 30 plus years into Jesus' life, and in the middle of Jesus' ministry, the scripture tells us that his brothers did not believe in him. So at that point... James was not a believer, the stepbrother of Jesus. Now, this is also, this James is not, because of what I just said, this James is not the James of Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of Jesus, of his disciples. You remember them. They were the ones in the garden, and they're the ones who saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. Um, That James was the son of Zebedee, not the son of Joseph, that was John's brother, one of the sons of thunder, which is a good shout out for the motorcycle gang we have here at the church, the sons of thunder. And it is believed that James came to faith, we know that he did, because this isn't an unbeliever writing the scriptures to us. James came to faith, many believe after the resurrection, because if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, 7, you can just jot that down and go to it later on. There's just a simple little statement that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to Mary in the garden, and then before he appeared to the disciples, he went and had a session with his brother James, his stepbrother James, the Bible says. And many of the theologians out there and the commentators believe that that's probably post-resurrection when James gave his life to Jesus as he saw Jesus face to face knowing that Jesus died on the cross because he was there and then he sees the risen Lord and sees the nail prints and, and his hands and his feet and they believe that at that point is when James came to faith in Jesus Christ. That's a pretty special story. Well, after his conversion, um, James actually rose up to be the predominant or the prominent elder in the early church in Jerusalem. And um, he helped pastor all of the new believers through a horrible time of ungodliness and persecution. You see, his flock that he was pastoring there in Jerusalem, um, they were a group of brand new Jewish believers. 
And the first generation of Christians um, living under the Roman rule, under Claudius, the Roman emperor, um, they were hated by the Romans because they were Jews. But the Jews hated them because they were Christians. And so they had this double hate on their lives. And this is who James is trying to pastor. This is who James is trying to work with. All these brand new, just you gotta realize that these are brand new Christians. It all began after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter eight, if you remember us studying that. We were told there in the scriptures that the Christians were scattered at that point. At the stoning of Stephen, the persecution ramped up and the Christians were scattered throughout the whole region of Judea and Samaria. And what's very interesting, and God always seems to do this, is through the persecution and through the threat of death, the church was scattered in actually doing the fulfillment of what Jesus calls us to do, and that is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and this is what's happening right now. Because of Stephen's stoning and the persecution that was coming, the strong persecution, the church is scattered, and that's who this is written to. It was called the Great Dispersion. It actually reminds me a lot of what's going on in Africa. And the Burkina Faso brothers and sisters over there who because of their faith in Jesus Christ are being threatened with their very lives and they're losing their livelihood, they're losing their homes, and they're being scattered throughout all of Africa. They're just running for their lives, just like these believers were here. I just want you to know, can I just make a commercial for persecution? A persecution commercial. That's what happens when God's people are persecuted. We're not supposed to go hunker down and hide We may have to run for our lives because we're not gonna just stand there and take it. We may have to run for our lives, but the running for our lives is supposed to be spreading the gospel out, and that's what we're seeing here in the lives of these people, and that's why James is writing to them to encourage them. Just think of it. Think of these baby Christians. This is the beginning of the church. See, we have the privilege of like drawing from people from the past, we have the privilege of drawing from the scriptures, strength from the scriptures of people who have gone before us. They didn't have any of that. They were the first generation of Christians with no older seasoned Christians to get counsel from, no one to mentor them. They didn't have any sermon series on suffering to listen to and to pull up. There were no podcasts. You couldn't go to the local Bible bookstore and buy some kind of seminar or some books on how to survive in the middle of trials as you're running for your life. There wasn't any of that. And the scriptures are clear that they needed help, these, these, these early baby Christians suffering amazing persecution needed help just to hold on to their faith. Because they were like, I'm not sure this is worth it. And so James steps in. The first I didn't know this, the first New Testament author. This is the first. We're holding here. This this letter to these scattered Christians is the very first New Testament writings. That's pretty special. And so this 
First New Testament author writes the first New Testament letter to the church and he begins right where they're living. He doesn't waste any time on the topic of trials and suffering. And let me just remind you, before we go any further in James, I want to remind you of what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. I've got it on the screen for you. These things happen to them as examples for us. Do you get that? Let that sink in and really think about that. These things happen to them as examples for us and they were written down to warn us and to teach us how to live at the end of the age. Does that just like blow your mind as much as it blows mine? One person again. This is yes, this means yes, this means no. I mean, think about this. We're not on an island all by ourselves and they weren't on an island all by themselves. We are all part of this great, big, crazy plan of God's that we find ourselves in. And it's amazing to me that today we're sitting here reading about things that happened to the first generation, the first century Christians who didn't know what they were getting themselves into and didn't know what they were doing, and the things they were going through, they went through for example, to be examples to us, and then God made sure they were written down and preserved all the way till today so that we can learn what we need to know in how to live lives successfully in the end of the age. And so God used them and all of the struggles they went through in order to help us go through the struggles that we're going through today. How awesome is that? It's awesome for us. It's not awesome for them. Stinks to be them. They could actually be back there going, if they knew this this knowledge, they could be going, why us and why now? Why for you? You guys aren't worth it. That child agrees with me. Think about that. It should, it should be a lesson for us as we go through the things we go through. The things we're going through are meant to go through partly in order for us to be able to help others go through it as they get closer to the end times. In fact, the scripture tells us that God doesn't waste his comfort and strength and grace and peace on us, just on us. He gives it to us Paul says, so that we can turn around and we can provide the same strength, the same comfort and compassion and help to those who are going through the same thing. In fact, many more various trials that they're going through because of what we've experienced. And we're experiencing the strength because of what they experienced. That's crazy. Crazy good. I'm sorry, that was a rant, but that was, this is just awesome to me. So as he was for the first generation church, James is gonna be our guide as we search out insight regarding troubles and trials in the world and when we experience them, what we're supposed to do. He's gonna help us to know God better in the middle of our trials. He's gonna help us understand how to apply biblical truth to our emotions. He's going to help us and give us what we need to remember, what we need to feel, what we need to be, what we need to do, when we find ourselves in a crisis and we find ourselves under stress. And that's where he is. 
with these new believers in early Jerusalem church. So he goes straight at it um, in verse two, and he basically says, hey, everybody, and here's the first point in your notes, your troubles are inevitable, accept it. That's where he goes in verse two, right out of the chute here. Verse two, James one, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What he's trying to say then here is they're coming, accept it. Notice that he says when you face trials, not if you face trials. He's not saying, hey everybody, count it joy, brothers and sisters, if you, if you have a trial, count it a joy. He's not saying that. It's very important that you understand these words. In fact, underline the word, when, whenever, whatever's in your Bible, Consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds. They're coming. You need to get ready. You need to accept it. It reminds me of the old Ben Franklin quote, in this world, nothing is certain but death and taxes, and James adds, and troubles. (laughs) Write it down. This is certain. You're going to have troubles. I want to remind you of Jesus' words. In John 16, 33, Jesus said, in this world, You will have trouble. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will suffer. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.12, don't be surprised at the painful trials you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. What are you surprised about? Jesus said it, Paul said it, I'm saying it, and now James is saying it. It's a well-known biblical fact that trials and troubles are inevitable. They're coming for all of us, and you guys all know this. This is not new news to you. You don't have to live very long to understand this truth. Because we've all gone through deep trials or we're in the middle of a deep trial or hang on because a deep trial's coming. One pastor put it this way and it's perfect with school starting up. Trials are not an elective. It's a required course and you can't opt out and you can't test out. Everyone has to go through the course. And that's what James is telling us here. Well, that's a big fat comfort, Phil. I mean, what a great way to start out. You got all these people. What is on on James' mind? What is he thinking? These people are desperate for their very lives. And he starts out with count it pure joy because you're gonna go through a lot, so just accept it. Wow. Well, hang on, it gets better. (laughs) Verse two says, not only are we going to, that trials are inevitable, but he's going to say, he says, we're going to face many kinds of trials Anybody want to shout, hallelujah, not only are the trials coming, but there's going to be a lot of them, and they're going to be all different kinds. Anybody want to shout hallelujah to that? Let's write a song on that. Jeez. Many are coming, and it literally means in all forms, shapes, and sizes, and they're unique to you because they are custom-designed with you in mind, and they have your name written all over them. Now, do not misinterpret what I'm saying here. I am not saying that when bad things happen, when bad, evil, wicked people 
take guns and shoot other people, that God is in that and God is making that happen. And that that's got your name on it. That's not what I'm talking about. And we're gonna explore that later. But what I am saying is every single trial that God allows in your life has a specific purpose in it. We're gonna talk about that. In fact, the Greek word here, many kinds, helps us know that what's coming our way are many, here's the words, varied, multifaceted, and multicolored trials. That makes it easier to swallow, right? They're multicolored. Hallelujah, I get a whole kaleidoscope of troubles coming with all kinds of vary in intensity, which means how painful they are. They're gonna vary in frequency, which means how often they're gonna come, and they're gonna vary in our duration, which means how long they will last. Wow, and James adds this, or doesn't add this, I added this. Trials are unpredictable. I don't know if, if, it's, if you're like this, but they seem to catch us by surprise and they come at the worst possible time. Can't tell you how many times I have been at this place where I'm thinking, and sometimes I have said, man, things are cruising, things are awesome. They've never been better. God's blessing is on our life and bam, here comes a major trial. I'm getting to the point where I'm never saying that again. Because <laughs> they... They're unpredictable. They're multifaceted, multicolored. Troubles are inevitable. We need to accept it. Here's another thing he wants us to know. Your troubles are purposeful. Embrace it. What? Did you really say embrace it? Yes. That's what James wants us to embrace the trials because we have a perspective that they are pur- there's a purpose. They're there to produce something in us. They exist to add value to your life, which is totally counterintuitive to the way that we think. Because if you're like me, the way that I think about this is I look at it as value to my life is when everything goes right. Happiness and joy and value is nothing ever goes wrong and nothing ever breaks. Are you like me? Is that how you think? That's how I think. And so when things go wrong, I don't naturally go to, yes, I'm embracing the purpose of my pain here. And yet that's what James wants us. Look at verse three. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. He says there are three purposes that we need to embrace. The first is that trials test my faith. Trials test my faith. We've talked about this before, that faith is a muscle. And faith needs to be exercised. And the only way to see how strong a muscle is, is to put it under stress. You put weight on it. That's the only way you can test a muscle. How much can a muscle hold? You don't know until you put weight on it to test how much it holds. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? The more you test that muscle, the stronger that muscle, it not only tests it, but the more that you test it, the stronger it becomes. I brought some little friends with me to illustrate this. 
I've got a 50-pound dumbbell right here and a 30-pound dumbbell right here. Jack, come on up here and help me. Now, Jack and I are kind of different boys here, <laughs> right? Yeah. Even though you're taller than me. All right, um, Jack, we're going to do this thing here because I'm going to show you what I can do, and then you're going to show me what you can do. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Okay, so I got this 30 pound. How many of you think that I can crank up 10 reps of 30 pounds? I have faith. Four people. You know, like 75% of the people in the first service said I said I can do it. What's wrong with you guys? All right, so I think I can do it. Here we go. One, come on. Two, come on. Come on, come on, get it. Come on, Phil, get it. Come on. <laughs> Do I have two more? Do I have two more? Can I take a little rest? No, come on. You get up here and do this, okay? What's happening to my face right now? It's starting to hurt. Nine and ten. You're next. Now, how many of you think I can do the same thing with a 50? No. Jack, let's see what you can do. Pick that baby up. Go for it. Here we go. Come on, Jack. Come on. Ready? One. Oh, you got to go all the way down, Jack. Come on, baby. Come on. Come on, baby. Come on. Come on. Come on, baby, come on. Yes, yes, way to go. Woo, yeah, baby. All right, Weston, come up here. All right, give me the next fox kid. Come on up, come on. There you go, get over there. You ready? Do it, baby. <laughs> do it. Do it. Come on. Come on. You can do it. Come on. Just one. Hey, hey, Weston. Or which one are you? Wade. Huh? Wade. Okay. Wade, listen. You're not trying hard enough. Go. All right. What is happening here? What have we just done? We have tested strength. Okay, we put the muscle under a test to see what we can do. What's the difference between Jack and Wade? Size, age, experience. If I had some smaller weights, he'd be able to do them. Right? But if I had Weston, his younger brother, up here, Weston might not be able to do it because Weston hasn't been put under the test yet. And so what's supposed to happen is this, the longer we go and we've, God puts our strength, he puts our faith under the test, it tests us to see what we can handle, but it also strengthens us under the test. Do you understand that? There's a purpose in this. As he tests us, he strengthens us at the same time. Like I, 
you don't believe, you don't have any faith in me. And I'm gonna show you that I can do this. It really ticks me off. I couldn't get it in the first service either. It ticks me off because I can do the 30, but I can't do the 50. I cannot get it. Yeah, but see, I just cheated because you're not supposed to do, you're supposed to just like crank it up there. And I cannot, I cannot get it up. And here's, the, here's what's telling me. It's telling me, here's, here's what I know. If I really went after this over time, I'd be able to lift this because there was a day I couldn't do 1030s. You want to try the 50? Sure. If you do it, I'm going to be mad. All right. Come on, Wade. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just goofing around. Listen to me, though. Listen, this is a lesson for you guys. As you grow up, you're going to have things that are, a, that are a bummer. There are things that are going to happen in your life that you're not going to like. And what you need to understand is that when you go through those things, God's purpose in that is for you to, to be strengthened. He's putting your faith under the stress to prepare you for the things that he wants you to do. I'm not ready, my friends. I'm not ready for a 50-pound trial yet. He's not going to put me under that but he is going to continue to bring the 30s and the 35s and the 40s in order to put me under the stress and the pressure in order to grow my faith. Give these guys a hand for helping out. Thank you. I can't breathe. Does that make sense? Amen. It's all about perspective. So the question is, how strong is your faith? The answer is your faith is only as strong as the testing of it. Bad things that happen to us are preparing and producing something good in us, James is saying. So embrace the pain. When the trials hit, this perspective on our trials is necessary in order to survive or else you'll just quit. You'll end up trying to do whatever it takes to get out from under the stress because it's painful and you don't want to endure the pain. And the question for all of us is, are you going to trust the work that God is doing in the trial in order to test you and to strengthen you? And will you submit to it? Here's the second purpose. Trials train me to endure. They test my faith and then they train me to endure. James 1.3 says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Another word for perseverance is endurance. Or some of your Bibles would have steadfastness. That's a great word. Because the Greek word perseverance literally means, and I love this, write this down somewhere, to remain under to hang in there. This is a staying power. That's what steadfastness is, to stay with it. When it really gets hard and when the pain starts to set in, stay with it, hang in there. And I gotta tell you, this is a quality that is missing in our culture today. Because we hate pain, right? And we have learned how to bypass the pain and the process that the pain is producing 
We've turned, we turned, we, we, some of us, and it's, it's creeping into the church a lot, some of us have figured out we'll do anything we can to avoid the pain. We'll dull it with drugs, alcohol, entertainment. We'll escape this in any way we can with all forms of distractions. And as a result, we are stunting our growth. And in the spiritual world, if we try to get out from underneath the thing that God is trying to produce in us, if we run from our trials and we run from our problems or we escape them in any way, we are stunting our growth. We're not allowing God to take us through the strength training process of the trial. He's giving us the ability with every trial to get stronger and to produce steadfastness in us and endurance in us. He wants us to develop the skill of being strong in the pain and to learn to push through the wall for the prize that is on the other side, which is the, uh, the third thing, that trials mature my character. This is the prize. This is what God is doing. This is the result. Verse four says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you see it? Can you see the, the, the product here? The finished work of the testing of our faith and the testing of our endurance is that we will be mature, complete, not lacking. And this is the only path to maturity. You all know the statement, no pain, no gain. That's exactly right. And if you skip the pain part of the process, you'll never get to the maturity. Your muscles will never develop. Your faith will never develop what he intends for you to develop. This is the perspective we all have to have. That's why James is starting out the book with this. And these people who are scattered, lost their homes, lost their jobs, running for their lives, he's trying to give them perspective on the circumstance, on the trial. And that's what God wants for all of us today, to have the right perspective. This is the perspective of the father who loses his job due to a shutdown. And he gathers his wife and his kids around him. And this is what he says. Let's pray. And here's the perspective. And thank the Lord for this opportunity to trust him. That's the perspective on the trial. That's what James wants us to have. It's it's the mother. The young mother who loses her child and can say, you give and take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You can't have that perspective without understanding what God is up to in the trial. Chuck Swindoll put it this way, our trials don't come as our enemies, they come as our servants. I love that. How do you view the trials that are coming your way? He views them as servants. He says, they are God's messengers with a note in their hand. And when you open it, it reads, hi, this is for your endurance and ultimately for your character development and full maturity. You're welcome, God. When we endure the trial and are patient under its heavy load and we don't try to escape the pain and the pressure of the process, The result, James says, is a strong, mature character completely equipped to take on all that God wants to accomplish through you. So basically he's saying, hang in there, baby. 
Number three, your troubles are conquerable. Face it. Face it. Face them when they come because you know that you can conquer them and there's three ways to conquer our troubles. The first is to rejoice. God is up to something in your life. Let's go back to verse two. This is a hard one, you guys, so hang on, because it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. These trials that are coming, and they're gonna keep coming, and they're many, and they're varied, consider it pure joy. Right. Is he really asking us to do this? Remember who he's writing to. He's writing to a bunch of people that have lost their jobs, lost their place in their society, are running for their lives, can't even live in their town anymore, and he's saying, count it pure joy. What in the world is he talking about? How do you do that, James? Now, first of all, I want just to say, this isn't a denial of reality. He's not telling us to pretend it's not happening. He's not telling us to fake it until you make it. He's not telling us to be fake and put on a happy Pollyannic mask and go around singing, the sun will come out tomorrow. That's, that's not what he's talking about. When he says, count it pure joy, that's not what he's talking about. And he's not talking about the silly, stupid songs that were taught to me whenever I was a kid in church. Not in junior church, in big church. They taught us songs like this. Are we, and we were supposed to sing it like this, are we downhearted? No, no, no. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. Troubles may come and troubles may go. We'll trust in Jesus, come weal or woe. And I don't even know what weal or woe is. I still don't know. Are we downhearted? No, no, no. How ridiculous is that song? It was like Jiminy Cricket in the room or something. What were we whistling for at the end? That is not reality. My dad used to be the song, bless his heart, he's in heaven right now and he's getting a full scope of what God really means by all this stuff right now. But he used to teach us this song. He used to get up in front of the church and teach us this song. And we're Dutch-Irish, and he was proud of the Irish part. And so he goes, let's sing this song together, and let's lift it up in the Lord, and let's sing it with a good, hearty Irish accent. Rise up, you saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. In fact, I, have, I found a videotape of this just to give you the example. It's not my dad, but it's a guy singing it with an Irish accent. Check it out. It's real. It's real. Cheer up, you saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. Hey, nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. Remember, Jesus never fails, so why not trust him and shout? You'll be sorry or worried at all tomorrow morning. Ba -ba -ba -bum, bum, bum, ba -ba -ba -bum, Are you kidding me? That's what my dad used to teach us in church, you know. Cheer up, you saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. That is not true. There's plenty to worry about. Right? Come on. The Bible doesn't say don't ever worry. It just says when you do worry, this is what you ought to do about it. There are things that happen. 
We're not supposed to be anxious and worried about things, but things in this world makes us ang- make us anxious and worried. Nothing to make you feel afraid, nothing to make you doubt. That's not true. I'm serious. I, there's a lot of things out there that make me afraid and make me doubt, and these people were the same way. James knew it. Now, he wasn't offering some silly little anecdotal song to pretend nothing's happening. Stuff is really happening in our lives, right? Stuff is really happening, and it's hard. And when he says count it pure joy, he's not saying sing yourself a silly little song and then everything will be okay. It's not, that doesn't work. A lot of pain came into our family. We had some suicidal loss in our family. My dad wasn't singing that song anymore. When you experience these simple things, these aren't the solution. And when James says count it pure joy, this is not what he's talking about. What do we rejoice in? Rejoice in that it's happening? Is that what he wants? Is that what he's saying? Rejoice in the fact that you're having these things, these hard things. Rejoice. It's not not what he's talking about. Is God some kind of cosmic sadist and his children are all little masochists running around saying, thank you, Father, can I have another? Thank you, Father, can I have another? Whack, thank you, Father, can I have another? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Is that what counted all joy is? It's not. You know what it also isn't? It's also not sit around with an Eeyore mentality You know, oh, look at me, I I have another thing. Look how spiritual I am. Look how much suffering I'm in. I'm so spiritual. That's not what counted all joy is either. You don't rejoice in the fact that you're being smacked down by the things of this world and now look how spiritual I am. That's not it either. This is what we rejoice in. We rejoice in the knowledge Not the feeling, okay? We rejoice in the knowledge that God is up to something and he's producing something that is stretching us and growing us and preparing us for the next thing that others are going to need strength from us for because we came through it. That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice that we can be instruments of his to use us in the way that he wants to use us and to accomplish his goal and for his glory work through us. We rejoice that God knows and cares about what's going on. He's not left us alone in the middle of our trial, and he's closer to us in the middle of our trial than at any other time. We rejoice that God will never leave us in that trial alone, and we are never alone. We rejoice that God will give us the strength and grace to get through us, and that he will bring peace that passes our ability to understand in the midst of our storm. He will bring that peace to us. He promises that. That's what we rejoice in. We rejoice that Jesus will come to us in the middle of our storms. And we rejoice, we're at Romans 8, 28 and 29, that God is working for my good in everything. And in everything, he is conforming me to be more like Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of why I'm going through the trial. Yes, sir. The great thing we saying earlier, the great thing is that we get to choose joy. I choose to praise in the midst of my pain. 
And the choice isn't based on what we feel in the middle of our trial. It's based on what we know in the middle of our trial. And that's why we're working on this. And that's what James wants them to know. We know that God is working in everything for the good of those who love him. And the result is that our faith is growing. And we're persevering. And he's maturing us to be all that he wants us to be. To be like David who went through tremendous trials. To be able to say, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be on my lips. So rejoice. God is up to something. Here's, this, uh, here's the next thing. Ask for wisdom. God gives it generously. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Isn't that great news? Anybody want to shout hallelujah for that? Because God gives out wisdom to those who ask for it, and he gives it out generously, and he won't make you feel guilty for lacking it or for asking for it. How awesome is that? Awesome. That's great news, people, because I'm in need of wisdom all the time. That's the greatest prayer of my life. Lord, I need wisdom. I don't know what to do in the middle of this trial. I don't know what to do in the middle of this circumstance. I don't know how to lead through this. I don't know how to lead my family through this. I need help. And when we come to God with that, we get wisdom from God. And when you get wisdom from God, this is what you get, the ability to view life from God's viewpoint. We gain the insight to understand the test from God's wisdom and the strengthening of our faith gives us the strength to pass the test. And wisdom helps us with these three questions. What do I learn from the trial? What do I do now? And where do I go from here? One author wrote this, the devil wants to use your trouble to defeat you. And God wants to use your trouble to develop you. And the practical point here is that when you're in trouble, you're supposed to, like the old song, tell it to Jesus. We're supposed to take it to Jesus. James 5.13, we're going we're to say this in, in several weeks from now. He says, are any of you in trouble? You need help? He should pray. That's all he says. Any of you in trouble? You should pray. Paul says in Philippians 4.6, are you anxious about your life? Pray. Tell it to the Lord. Take it to him. Take your anxiety to him. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, are you anxious? You got trouble in your life? Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. James is saying, ask for wisdom when you're in trouble and God stands ready to give it to you and he will give it to you generously and he won't look down on you, he won't make you feel guilty for needing it and for lacking it. And let me just tell you something. If the Bible promises that if you ask for something, God will give it to you in abundance, get ready, hold your hands out. I mean, get a big wheelbarrow, get a couple of 55-gallon drums because God's gonna pour it out on you. You ask for wisdom, ask me for wisdom. And when you ask, I will give it to you generously. <laughs> Listen, we all ought to start every day with, Lord, give me wisdom. <laughs> every day, Lord, give me wisdom. And like obligate God to his promise. You said I need it and you know I need it. And so I'm asking for it. And God will pour it out and give it to you generously. The next thing we need to do to conquer our troubles is to believe because God will help you. Verse six says, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. I don't have time to jump into that. It's a great study. 
But we need to believe in the word of God and take God at his promises and believe and don't doubt and expect God to answer because he's promised he would. I obligate God all the time. I love obligating God. You can, did you know that you can obligate God to his promises? I obligated God this morning to these two families. I said, listen, here's what I know. And I know from experience that the peace of God that passes understanding is going to come and is gonna guard your heart and your mind, so get ready to receive it. I obligate God to that all the time because God said he's gonna do that. And I said, God's gonna give you grace to help in your time of need and it'll be proportionate to your need and it's gonna come in like a flood. It's gonna come in like a wave crashing upon the emotional heart that you have right now to help you in your time of need. Just hang on. Help is on the way. We can obligate God to his promises and we do that by believing in his promises. We miss out, a lot of us miss out because we don't believe. And then the last thing, refuse to quit. God will be true to his promises. James 1.12, jump to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessings come to those who endure. So the question is, will you turn to God for help in your troubles? Will you let God teach you instead of trying to escape the pain, endure under the test and let God put you to the test in order to grow you the way that he wants. If you do, the scripture says, and you're in line for a great reward. One man named John Gardner wrote this. We are all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as unsolvable problems. God says that with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible, no matter how hard it is that you're going through. I know we're way over time. I got kind of carried away on the weightlifting thing. (laughs) But I think we'd be missing it if I didn't give you an opportunity to, with me, ask God for wisdom. And what I would like to do, we did this in the first service, is those of you who are in the middle of a deep trial right now and you're at the point where you're under the stress of it, you're under the pain, you're hurting right now, and you just wanna cry out to God and get wisdom, why don't we put God to the test right now and let's ask him for what he said to ask for? And I'd love to pray over your circumstance right now. You don't, you're not gonna tell me what it is, but if you want to, you can stand indicating that you have a deep need right now that you want to ask God to bring wisdom into your life and we as a congregation will pray over that with you. You wanna do that? So who has a need that they would like to just stand up indicating I have a need <coughs> that I want you to pray over? Go ahead and stand to your feet. There's no shame in this, by the way. We all, we just learned, all of us are going through trials or are going to go through trials and you may be in the middle of a deep one right now and you need that prayer. There's no shame in admitting that. And we're gonna, by faith, just lift up these needs to the Lord and ask for wisdom in all these circumstances. Anybody else before we go to prayer? Okay. Let's all pray, and those of you who are standing, just hold your hands out like this, just like you're expecting something great, okay, from the Lord, because he's gonna pour out his wisdom as we ask him for it. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you 
for the promises of your word. And I thank you for the humility and vulnerability that these brothers and sisters have expressed today as they stand saying, I have a trial and I need wisdom for it and I need strength. And so Lord, we're going to do what you said right here in your word as we get started with this whole series. Asking you, the all-wise God, to give us wisdom to help in these circumstances represented here in these people that are standing. And I pray that you'll just pour out generously like you have promised. You said you would, Lord, so we're gonna ask you to do it. We're asking you right now for wisdom. And I don't know what that means for each individual person, but I just pray that you'll just pour it out into their hands and into their lap and overflow for strength, the answers to questions, directions that they need to go, supernaturally intend in their circumstances right now, Lord. And we thank you in advance for all that you're gonna do to help them, our brothers and sisters, through this hard time. Let's all stand now. As Lord, we acknowledge your presence here with us. And we all standing admit that we're nothing without you and that we can't survive out in this world without your help and the strength of your Holy Spirit. And so I ask for that for all of us as we go out of this place today and that you use us powerfully in the midst of all the trouble and trial that we have around us and that we will live victoriously because we have that perspective on our trials. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As always, we have a prayer team down here. If there's anything you specifically need prayer help with, we had some of that happen in the first service, please come on down and let us pray over your circumstance with you. God bless you as you go. Share some love with those around you, and God bless you online. Um, You are loved. We love you, and the Lord Jesus Christ loves you also. Take care, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us for this morning's online service. Our hope is that it ministered to your heart deeply, and we pray that it inspires you to love God, love people, and influence our world with the gospel of Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, or you'd like prayer in your life, we'd invite you to fill out an online connection card by clicking on the link. If you haven't downloaded our church app yet, now's a great time. It has tons of resources and opportunities that you can take advantage of. Finally, you can check out our website, fbclcart.org, to stay connected with us. We hope you have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you right back here next week, same time.